When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham SC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today, we'll look back at Saturday's 2-0 victory over Southampton in the sunshine. Everyone might be focused on the fact that the Saints were mathematically relegated, but we'll be focusing on the fact that it was Fulham's record 15th Premier League win of the season, a 7th away win of the season, another record there, and the fact Alexander Mitrovic came back and scored his 12th Premier League goal of the season, a record for him as well. Lots to celebrate on the pod today. The record points total is only now one win away. I'm joined today by Ben Jarman, live from Canada. Hello. Hello, sir. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Farrell Monk, hello. Hello, live from London. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> You're doing your full Eurovision there. Hello. <laughs> Stockholm calling uh, and, and uh, yeah. Oxford calling. It's Elizabeth Barnard. How you doing? I'm good. How's everyone else? All good. Fine. Thank good. you. Especially after that lovely win on the, uh, on the South Coast uh, yesterday. A beautiful away day. Just one of those ones where you're like, oh, this is just ideal in the sunshine. And just to top it off, egg on the face of Rishi Sunak. Just if, if you couldn't make it any more perfect, then that happened. Uh, Farrell, what were the best three word reviews that came in after yesterday's win? Well, I might as well start with Patrick Brown's cheers, Rishi's crying. Obviously, the BBC didn't, didn't quite write uh, exactly what we were chanting about him after the game as well. But, yeah, you know, if you were that. there, you know exactly what it was. Um, obviously, a lot of them were Mitrovic related. Um, uh, James Wilson, I'm back, bitches, with uh, God, God, just love that simplicity there. Uh, Jimmy B. Goods, Mitro's Saint Sational Return. Chester Senio, Sinner N. Saints. Fulham Doster, I think that is. Wait is over and uh, a lovely little touch with eight spelled E-I-G-H-T, which is great. Uh, John uh, with Relight relight My Fire, which is great. Uh, and I'll finish off with Fulham Fan Uses, Serbian Sinks Saints. Very nice. Thank you very much, Farrell. All right, let's get into the game. And Joms, are just a a brilliant performance. Yes, the focus obviously was the fact that uh, Southampton were were woeful and they weren't really adequate opposition for us yesterday. But once again, Fulham have gone into a game against a side in relegation trouble or just generally in the bottom half of the league and swept them away with ease. And it's been really, really nice to see Fulham this season just not get tripped up by the games that we shouldn't be tripped up by. Um, maybe next season, it'd be nice to get a few more wins against those kind of top sides. But once again, nice and solid, nice and easy. And I had a feeling all game, even when it was nil-nil at halftime, I was like, this ends 2-0 Fulham. It's just, it's just, it, it was blatantly obvious throughout the whole game that was what was going to happen. And uh, Therefore, it did. 
Yeah, I had the same feeling the whole time throughout the game. It just felt like a, a really easy dispatch of an opponent that just really wasn't up to the standard of the league this year whatsoever. I think Fulham looked really confident throughout. We you know, made plenty of chances. We held the ball well. We were good in possession. It was just a matter of time before it came. When you look back at the highlights, if you watch Match of the Day or whatever provider you get your highlights from, <laughs> Fulham were looking pretty good in that first half. Unlucky to get the goal through Willian. That clearance off the line was pretty sensational from uh, Lin Kao, I think is how you Lianco. pronounce his name. Lianco, sorry. Uh, and then uh, the handball shout as well, like you absolutely have seen them given. So unlucky not to go into half time with at least a one or two nil lead. And then the second half, we just looked much, much better. Like we'd settled into the game. The pass from Kenny for, in the build-up to the first goal was absolutely sensational. Um, I said it the last few times I've on, but like the way TC has changed from being like a bit of a mercurial midfielder to now just being one of those guys that you want to put on there to control games has been great. And uh, I absolutely love him. And yeah, obviously the crown on top of that is uh, seeing Mitrovic come back and, and score a brilliant header to seal the deal. Yeah, uh, Elizabeth, it did take us a little while to to get going. Um, and actually, we should probably um, talk about the fact um, of the bit of the shock from the lineup. Um, uh, Marco had said uh, that the whole Vinicius Mitro thing gave him a very good headache. I must admit, I, I saw that quote and I was like, yeah, but Marco, we know what you're really going to do. You're going to start Mitro, aren't you? So actually, 2.01pm in the pub when I saw the Vinicius starting, I was a bit like... That's not really what I travelled down to Southampton for. It's not why um, 3,000 people brought Serbia fat flags down to Southampton for. But that is why he is a football manager, because I think he got that call spot on. Well done, Marco. I'm happy to admit that I was uh, wrong with my 2.02pm rant. Yeah, um, Vinicius has been pretty decent for us the last few games and scored a few times. But I was fully expecting that he would be dropped immediately as you were. Um, but as soon as the lineup came out and I digested some of the sort of takes around it, it did make sense. Like if Marco is going to keep Vinicius happy, which he kind of has to do, he can't drop him immediately, even when he's in really good form. But when that substitution happened at the 60th minute or whatever it was, like you could tell that it was the end and that it meant that Vinicius got a sort of final round of applause and thanks for his service. Um, but Mitro's back and he'll be starting the next game, I hope. Um, and that's probably for the best. Do you think, I mean, Farrell, I wouldn't be surprised now because Vinicius got his goal and maybe against Palace. Like, and also there is the evident thing that as much as obviously Mitro's been training and stuff, like to miss two months of the season, like he basically has, um, he does need to build up some some minutes and some match fitness and just to expect him to do 90 off the bat is probably unrealistic. So I don't know. just wonder if Marco might keep this for, for Palace because Vinicius has done nothing to warrant being dropped, apart from the fact that when Mitra came on, you realised like what we've been missing. I think with Vinicius, it's it's so, so harsh because he's actually been playing really well, as Elizabeth has been saying the past few games. I think that's now his fifth goal in 10 starts for Fulham. Um, and he tends to sort of like when he does come off the bench, it's only for a, it's only really a cameo ap- appearance at the end. So if you take all that his t- his justice starts, it's actually a pretty good record, especially at the top in the top flight as well. But I'm not sure he must be he must uh, love and hate the fact that he's he does have uh, a person who has scored 109 goals for Fulham um, <laughs> alongside him. So 
it's it's harsh, but you know, Mitrovic is our main man, to be honest. Um, and regardless how you might think that it's going to take him to get back to full fitness, the only way that he is going to get back to full fitness is by playing, you know, 90 minutes again. So I can't imagine that Marco's now going to sort of ease him back in. He's, you know, you can see what he was like, Mitrovic. He's so fired up uh, to uh, to keep scoring goals. I think Harrison Reed said in the in the post-match interview, he was like, once he scored his goal, he was like, get me another. I want another, Reedy. Get me another one. Get me another one. And, you know, that motivation is is wonderful. And it was it was such a magic moment for all the Fulham fans there that we've waited so long for him to come back and to to get his goal, which was just beautiful. It was such a wonderful little header. Little shout out to Bobby Decker Dovery's little um D de- decoy run. Um I'm not gonna shoehorn a pun in there. But um yeah, it that that creates a space. That's just brilliant coaching from Marco all over and just brilliant header from from Mitrovic to get on the end of it. Ben, let's uh, just look back at the first goal. I love this um, message here from Alex Purepower, who said, is there anything more Harrison Reed than getting an assist from a tackle? Um, which is beautifully put. Uh, uh, I mean, it was a bit of an overhit from, from Harry Wilson uh, and Vinicius gobbles it up. But yeah, the ball from Kearney, you mentioned it earlier, is the, is the, is the moment of that move. I mean, it's just a brilliant team goal. It's, it's back to front. It's, it's just everything that this Fulham team epitomizes, but yeah, that was uh prime TC and prime Harrison Reed in that goal. Oh, mate, totally. I think it summed up both of those players superbly. Um, you know, for Vinicius to be in the right place at the right time helps, but to get an assist off a sliding challenge in the opposition six-yard box is absolutely ridiculous. I don't think I've ever seen that in a game before. Yeah. Like, at least not anything better than Sunday League level, because that absolutely <laughs> screams Sunday League, which is, I guess, kind of befitting for how Southampton have played since they appointed <laughs> Nathan Jones and then uh, Sellers in like in uh, in reaction to that. But yeah, like the the TC pass and as you rightly say, the build up through the the sections of the pitch and the thirds of the pitch, absolutely epitomised what we did today uh, and and have done all season. And I think one thing that I took away from this goal is, despite the fact that there's that sublime pass from Kenny, is that how well and how how well structured and how well drilled this team is for him to know exactly where Harry Wilson is going to be without even having to raise his head at that moment in time. And I think that that's something that maybe we haven't given ourselves enough credit for this season is the structural integrity of how well Fulham are, are set up and how they can progress through the thirds, regardless of what opponent they have. And, you know, They've done it to Manchester United this season. They've done it to Chelsea. They've done it in periods to City as well. It's not like we've crumbled in, in the face of the big six. It's like we've come out swinging and unfortunately at times have come up maybe a round or two short. Um, but yeah, Fulham today looked like they never really got out of third gear, but you absolutely knew from the moment that move was put together that three points was going to be in the bag. Yeah, it was one of those, Liz, but particularly after Southampton had just had a goal disallowed for, for offside, kind of that that blow at one end to a blow at the other. That, I, 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 was, I was kind of thought it was inevitable beforehand, but once that first goal goes in, I was like, this is, this is done. This is, this is it. There's no, there's no way back now. Yeah, it's rare for me, but there was no point during that that I thought Fulham would lose or even draw that game. Even in the first half when we were a little bit sloppy in front of goal, I just knew we were going to win. Um, and that the hunger from Harrison Reed to go for that tackle and to nab it off. And Vinicius, as you said, being in the right place at the right time, which isn't luck, like that's skill as well. Um, yeah. 
and sort of doing the keeper a little bit. Um, it was just so good. It was so perfect. I was about three minutes late sitting down to watch the second half, and I, um, what I sat down just as the Kenny pass came through, and I thought, ah. oh yeah, it's going to be good. And I was here, right. here we go. Um, I mean, there was plenty in the stadium that also uh, that missed that goal as well because uh, the pints and the chants were definitely flowing in the concourse at uh, and half time, and uh, there was a lot of people that were rushing up those stairs uh, as soon as they heard uh, Vinicius uh, put the ball in the net. Uh, Farrell, one maybe thing's been slightly overlooked: Fulham had gone eleven Premier League games without keeping a clean sheet. Um, we hadn't kept a clean sheet since the Brighton game. Um, in the Premier League, we did keep a clean sheet in the cup against um, Leeds in that time. And that actually is really important confidence wise. Like I know it was against an opposition that that were a bit doomed, but still just it had actually been a long time that this defence had gone without kind of shutting out. And and for a goalkeeper and, and defence and back four, that's that's as big as a win for them as well. So uh, shout out to, to the defence for just keeping it solid again. I feel like it's it's um, deserved over a long period of time for people like Bernd Leno and Tosin and Diop, um, you know, because they have been f- performing at a level that would probably warrant more clean sheets this season. Um, but to be honest, you're right in saying that the opposition faced, it does sound like an easier task. It also feels like that Southampton didn't really play to their strengths as well with Onoachu up top too much. They didn't really try and put us under pressure and create a little bit of chaos, which is what Nathan Jones pretty much did against Fulham all the way back when we beat them 2-1 with that last minute Paulinha header. They, you know, they tried to make it really difficult for us. Um, and yesterday they just didn't do that at all. Um, they didn't really unsettle our back line. There was only one really one moment where Diop uh, surrendered the ball to Onuachu. Um, But apart from that, it was a really short of performance. And I think it shows... You know, when you're watching it yesterday, when the way that Fulham are moving the ball around with such ease and guile, that it shows the level of of quality and technical ability, uh, the difference in between the two teams. And I never really felt from the stands that Fulham were really ever stretched. There was only that one disallowed goal, which is when Tosin was probably caught a bit um, caught a bit upfield a bit too much and um, and struggled to get back. Diop didn't really seem to cover off that pass too well but we were lucky that um uh, that the player had had strayed marginally offside and it was a, it was a nice little finish actually but thankfully the clean sheet stayed um but yeah i mean it's it's all credit i think diop has had to slot into position that he's not been too familiar with this season i know he's played at left center back with west ham previously but yeah he's been okay i think with the left center back option I, he doesn't look as comfortable on the ball as much as he has been but to be honest defensively i think that both him and tosin have been have been brilliant since they've come in really ben let's let's talk metro um when eventually he did come on it was the 62nd minute and i mean the crowd was amazing it was the oh, i've never done, i've never gone oh, for a player to come on as a sub <laughs> But um, yesterday was was warranted. I think it was louder when he came on than maybe either of the goals. It was a huge roar. It was it was a brilliant moment, and it was amazing how just instantly Fulham seemed to like up their tempo, up their game. Um, all of his touches were were pristine. I was kind of thinking Reap Mitro might come on and, and look a bit rusty, but actually there were, there was none of that yesterday. Once again, I feel like you have to add this caveat, aided by the fact that Southampton were woeful, but still, 
he just came on and, and just and just looked like he hadn't been missing at all. It was it was and, and yeah, seven minutes to to get his goal. And again, so inevitable as well mm. that, that he would score. You just knew it before the game started that Mitro's going to score today. I don't know how it's gonna happen or when it's gonna happen exactly, but he is going to score today if he comes on the pitch. And lo and behold, yep. There it was. I think when you look back at strikers in history, there's like icons that played for clubs. And I think Mitrovic is our icon. You know, you have a scoring record of 109 goals in 203 appearances. That is insane for a club of our size to have a striker of that capability. I mean, it goes without saying that the record-breaking season last year was so impressive. But I think the way he came out the traps this year was insane. Like, he carried on the form when so many people wrote him off. I'll, you know, I always remember Leanne Sanderson saying that he was not fit to to cut be cut out in the Premier League. He will score less than ten goals. All of this sort of stuff. You know, so many columns before the season were kind of like, oh, you know, Mitrovic had a great season last year, and will he ever be able to replicate it? You can't stop talent like Mitrovic has, and you know, we've built this team around him. And you see, as you rightly say, Sammy, as soon as he comes on the pitch this team raised their tempo because I feel like they have almost like a, a bit of a debt to get Mitro firing again, you know, um, and and for him to come back. And it was just 18 minutes of vintage Mitrovic there. And you knew from the moment he touched that pitch that there was going to be a ball that ended up in the back of the net. And, you know, it came and it was inevitable. Yeah, 100%. Just um, just wonderful uh, to, ha- to have him back, uh, Elizabeth. Um, one thing that I think is an interesting stat, Elizabeth, is um, you look at the bottom five of the Premier League, Forest, Everton, Leeds, Leicester, Southampton. We've won every game against all of them. So that's 30 points that have come just from the bottom five teams. We're now on 51. And that level of consistency against like, I mean, we've done well against the bottom 10, but we've done... 100% record uh, against the sides in relegation uh, scrap. I don't know whether to be concerned about that. Is you know, is it the fact that Fulham have just done really well in these games? And is that a long-term strategy? Or actually to be really, really impressed that we've beaten the teams that we should have. But I don't think there'll be many teams in the league that could say they've got 30 points against the bottom five. Even, well, I know Arsenal definitely haven't. Um, I imagine City probably are close. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's such a... Is it a weird... Is it a fluke? Or is it actually... Is there something more to it? I hate to, first of all, well, actually this. Uh, but we did draw against Everton at home. Oh, um, a, a no. game we should have won, though. So like You've done me dirty. Yeah, we did um, need the double so, yeah. Everton, did we? Oh. Because I was thinking, you know, we've got some doubles, but not all of them. We were oh, yes, we, we're pretty we're pretty much close to a perfect record yeah, against yeah, those yeah. bottom five, and I don't think it's a coincidence. Like it's just an elevated performance level that we have over them. We are just simply better. Like it hasn't been a struggle in any of those games, really, bar maybe Leicester away, where it's a bit difficult. Yeah. Um, where I thought, you know, we're going to lose this. We've been really consistent and solid and better, and that means like. Obviously, it's annoying that we haven't managed to take points off teams above us um, consistently this season, but it has been really impressive, our performance level. And I think that's often down to the people that we have, like having Bert Leno in goal, Mitrovic up top, people like Polina in the middle of the field. Those are just better players, and we have a better manager than those teams in the bottom five. Um, it feels pretty good, to be honest. I'm going uh, to... Uh 
Fulhamish detention for, uh, for my awful stat there. I, I don't know why I just had it in my head. I, do you know what? I still haven't forgiven whoever was the referee that day for not giving that penalty uh, for Willian at Everton at home. And I, I just, in my head, imagined that we won 1-0, but, um, but we didn't. It was against Frank Lampard's Everton. There's, there's no, that's blood on our hands a little bit for the fact that we didn't finish the stat. It was just Pickford FC. He was amazing that day. Yeah, he really, really was. Um, but yeah, uh, a fantastic um, win. And, and Jarms, the, the battle for uh, the battle for ninth hotting up a little bit um, with, with our uh, rivals up the road, Brentford. Uh, they got a win today against uh, a West Ham that put half they didn't even bother turning up did they they were just like yeah we're we're much more worried about the Europa Conference League semi-final on Thursday kind of fair enough in fairness but a bit annoying um their final two games Spurs away City at home obviously our final two games Palace at home United away they've got a better goal difference I think we'd be doing well so effectively we'd probably need Spurs to beat Brentford and then Fulham to beat Palace and then we might have that chance of pipping to ninth, which actually I think for me, surely that's the perfect season. If if we can just that last thing over the line, if we could just pip Brentford to ninth, that would be that would be the icing on the cake, wouldn't it? It would, yeah, absolutely, it would be the icing on top of the cake, as they used to say in FIFA back in the day. But I think the best the best thing for me is the eight point gap we currently hold over Chelsea, who have spent just as a quick reminder half a billion pounds in the last year since Todd Bowley took over and have got a hundred million percent worse. I'm just, I have nothing more to say on that. It's just great. Do you think Fulham in the club shop would um, release, if we finish above both Brentford and Chelsea, release like one of those really uh, tin pot DVD. picture frames of like a, a pitch invasion? We finished above Brentford and Chelsea. 80 pounds, please. <laughs> I want a DVD of, of both of all the games that we won against uh, Southwest London neighbours. Yeah, I, I, w- I want a trophy in the trophy cabinet if we finish top of uh, top of West London, please. Um, it, it needs <laughs> the the Intertoto Cup's looking bare, and we might as well put one in there. You know, we've got, we've got this big trophy cabinet. Let's put the we finished ninth above Brentford and Chelsea straight in there uh, at, at, the, at the front. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Afterwards, we're going to get into some of your questions. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. 
If you'd like to watch football matches and TV shows which aren't available in your region, or maybe you'd like to save money by purchasing flights from different virtual locations, then we've got an amazing deal with NordVPN where you can get a massively discounted rate plus four free months by heading to nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish. Now, I've been using NordVPN for well over a year now. It comes in very handy very often. Uh, particularly when watching sporting matches using my UK subscriptions when I'm abroad, or you can use it the other way around if you're in the UK and you want to use subscriptions from other countries. A subscription to NordVPN is the price of a cup of coffee a month, and you can use one account on up to six devices. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash and you can get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus four additional months all for free. Best of all, it's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So to grab that deal, go to nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Ben Jarman, Farrell Monk and Elizabeth Barnard. Uh, just a quick one to say thank you to everyone uh, who continues to support Fulhamish in the Fulhamish uh, community, uh, helping us uh, fund all of our podcasts, videos, articles. Uh, it's hugely, hugely appreciated. If you get a lot out of what we do, uh, we'd really, really uh, love you if you're able to sign up to the Fulhamish community. Uh, it's just a way of us keeping all the content that we do absolutely free, but also funding it at the same time. As a bonus, you get access to our Telegram, uh, which has three different chats. One is about general Fulham chat. One is tickets and away days. One is the transfers chat, which is uh, starting to heat up a bit of a debate in there today over which Southampton players uh, people would uh, would want to nab. Um, I don't know why everyone seems to really want to take Southampton's team apart. And I'm a bit like they did finish 20th um but anyway like i'm sure there's a couple of uh, of bargains in there anyway uh, if you're able to support us we really appreciate it there is a link in the description of this podcast or you can find all the details on our website but if you can't or aren't or you don't want to no worries everything remains absolutely free but yeah we really appreciate all of you uh, who continue to support us um means the world to us. Right, let's get into some of your questions. Uh, first one, I'll come to you, Ben, from Neil Stewart. Said, is Harrison Reed better with TC on the pitch than Pereira? I think he is, because I think TC gives a level of control that Pereira can't give to a game. And I think that that really allows Harrison Reed to focus on the fundamentals of his roles and responsibilities within the team. And I know I sound like someone's manager at work by saying that, but like ultimately he will be given a role by a silver and when you have Pereira floating in and out of games and Kearney being more present throughout I think that does bring out the best of Harrison Reed. and sorry if we're going to put this video up on YouTube I was saying that open mouth because I was thinking outside of James Ward-Prowse who would I actually take from Southampton I think the answer is probably no one I like Lavia I thought he looked quite good yesterday but Mm. maybe Bednarek at a push yeah, but then I like, where does La- does Lavia get into our team? Yeah, that's that's the thing is though, like none of them would actually get in over any one of our players at all. So if we are, they're just going to fill out our squad more than anything else. They wouldn't actually increase the quality. I guess though, that's not a terrible thing, right? Probably Fulham's problem is a lack of depth. So I kind of don't, I see the logic in signing players in order to for them to be some depth, but we have quite a bit of depth now in that midfield slot, and I, I don't know where uh, where Lavia um, would exactly fit in. Alcaraz looks like a good player, probably be a, a solid option. Um, Farrell, I, I saw you kind of uh, 
don't know if you shook your head or if you just weren't sure about the uh, about Ben's answer whether Harrison Reed is better with TC on the pitch than Pereira. No, I think I think that Ben's explanation was actually really good, and I think what he's actually probably saying is that TC makes the whole team better. Um, but I think that a lot of fans would look at Pereira's individual performances throughout the season and probably say that he's playing at a slightly higher level than TC. I don't necessarily agree with that totally. I think it's quite close in between them. Like I know I've talked a lot about how much I love TC and how, you know, his quality and he's just a different type of player than, uh, than to Pereira, but you can see how Marco Silva has adapted TC to fit into the system to, to, to play as sort of like that um, in the four, four, two block um, alongside Mitrovic or, or Vinicius and then slot back in when whenever he needs to, the same way that Pereira does. And I think that's just the brilliant coaching abilities that's bringing the best. But, you know, I think individually, Kenny is a better player than Pereira and probably brings much more quality on the ball than Andreas Pereira and a bit more productivity. So, I mean, this isn't a question in between whether TC is better than Pereira or not, is whether which one gives um, makes Reed a better player. And I do actually agree with Ben that that, that is actually the case. Uh, Elizabeth, where do you stand on this one? I'd uh, uh, be interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah, TC is my favourite player that we've ever had. So I can't be, like, I can't put aside bias. I do agree. I think TC makes the team better. I think his control on the ball is really impressive and it's not something Pereira really provides in the same way. But I do think Pereira has moments in him where he's better. I think he's possibly more hardworking. Um, and I think what we do have and what the ideal situation is when we have both of them fit and well is Pereira to start games and then bringing TC on if we go ahead to have a little bit more control. I think that's ideal. But I do agree that he does improve the team around him a lot more than Pereira does, even though Pereira is individually excellent. Yeah, I think that what this, you know, and obviously no one would have wished this on Pereira in order for Marco to find this out, but there's surely got to be a bit more rotation next year from Marco. And and I think there's certain games where actually TC from the start makes sense. I think, look, I think if you're probably playing the top eight or top 10, I think you're probably going to need Pereira in there or against certain types of system as well. Maybe teams that are going to have a bit more of the ball and Pereira's pressing comes a bit more into it. But I think if there's games where we're expected to dominate the ball, like yesterday, then having TC on the pitch is just a, a wonderful asset. And I think he works harder than he ever did before, um, which is which is credit to Marco. So I just think that maybe Marco could have potentially rotated Kearney in a little bit more. I know he gave him so many appearances off the bench, and so which clearly indicates that Marco didn't think that TC was a bad player. But I feel like there was moments this season where Pereira went out of form and we could have rotated. And actually, um, I think TC has proved that he is a more than a capable Pereira replacement, whereas generally he's come on to replace Harrison Reed. Um, and I think that, that Kearney has proved that he's versatile in that midfield. Um, Elizabeth, I'll go to you on this one. Um, C asks, um, uh, I, I don't know if that's their name. Uh, they have a profile picture of Steve Sidwell, uh, which I respect. Anyway, C asks, is this the pinnacle for us or does the future hold something even better? So if you just get that crystal ball, which is um, to your right hand side and uh, or your magic eight ball or something, what does the future hold, uh, mystic uh, Elizabeth? Yeah, looking into the stars. Um, I'm really worried about next season. I know that's not fashionable, um, but I think, or maybe 
you know, it's not the optimism we're looking for. But I do think this season we've had stuff that's gone for us. And I also think we've got players like Willian, who I'm not sure can push on to next season and be as good for us. Um, so the the negative person in me says that this is the pinnacle. And I'm also worried about Marco going, to be honest. Like, he's clearly very ambitious and he might leave. But having said all of that, if we get our recruitment right this summer and sign players that have a point to prove, sign players who are good, but maybe their talent is a little bit underappreciated or valued by other teams and keep Marco for another season, I do think the sky's the limit. Like, I do think there is potential that next season we can be actually talking about Europe at this point of the season and talking about that as a realistic possibility. So well, you brought me I'm- on brilliantly to my next question from Chris Inman says question for the pod. If Mitro isn't suspended, would Fulham be in contention for Europe? You could argue that points were possible uh, against Man City and Liverpool. Uh, we'd probably get at least four from the games against Bournemouth, West Ham and Villa uh, that we lost Add a point for either Man City or Liverpool. And we'd be one point off the European spots. Um, Farrell, I, I think just over the season, you think that Mitro hasn't been fit since the October international break, if you'd have had Mitrovic fit for the full season, I don't know. It's hard not to wonder what if. Well, didn't Peter Rutzler tweet that he's missed 14 games through suspension or injury? So if you take that into account that he scored 12 goals in the games that he has been available, it's actually a phenomenal record in the Premier League as well. Um, And to miss a player of that calibre in all of those games, it is going to have an effect. And especially when you saw it yesterday when he came on, that his sort of talismanic effect of of uh, of coming off the bench actually raises the spirit and the energy of the team as well. Shows what a popular figure he is. Um, if we if we did have him for those games, it's such it's you know it's it's so difficult difficult to see. Unfortunately, I don't have a magic eight ball with me, which probably has Harris uh, Harry Wilson's. Uh, that's what we can call him now, the magic eight. Um, you know, we can't really go back and sort of like look at those things, but would we have done better? I think it's really, really marginal. Like I think that we, you know, especially against Man City, we were right in that game for a long period of time. Do you think, would we have necessarily carved out another opportunity to to get a goal at Mitrovic's feet? But I mean, Vinicius played pretty well that game. I think it's, it's so difficult to say, really. I'm just going to say, yeah, we would have got 10 more points with him in. We'd be challenging for Champions League. Why not? I just think that this season, I don't think it's necessarily a case of, oh, if Mitrovic plays that game, we would have won. But I think if you had Mitrovic fit for the full season, then things would have been possible. And it's, it's a shame, but we'll, we'll never know. That's why what makes me think next year that I think you just got to keep it solid over the summer. I think if you don't have too much upheaval in terms of players leaving, with a few sensible additions here and there, a good start as well. That did help us massively this year was kind of not losing any of our opening three games, getting that win over Brighton was huge. Kind of getting that, getting over that first hurdle um, was, was massive this season. Um, Ben, your thoughts on uh, Chris's question as to whether if Mitro wasn't suspended, we'd be uh, in contention for Europe. I mean, it's just hard not to think. Yeah. I mean, we're about six points off. Definitely hard not to think that we'd be in contention. Liz has just put a message into the chat saying that if if he continued on that scoring rate, he'd be up at around 20 goals this year, which is insane. Yeah. I also think like it's not as simple as just removing Mitrovic and then everything falling apart. I think there was a certain point where we just 
had a really shit run of form. As yeah. in, we were letting in goals left, right and centre. Some of the midfield wasn't working. Um, you know, Vinicius wasn't firing. Uh, we got absolutely saved a few times by Manor Solomon curling in worldies. You remember that period in in life, which was weirdly happy, but also tinged with sadness. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's like a little bit of consistency that Fulham can get. And that's when you really start to to push for European places. But like, yeah, just the goals uh, drying up a little bit and us looking really shaky defensively for six or seven games, I think did kill the vibe. I think that given the season that Fulham have, I think that I wouldn't change it, to be honest. Like, you know, we've had such a remarkable season. I don't want to look up about the what ifs. You know, I'm looking, I'm thinking about the now and the fact given everything that's happened with, with some of the injuries and suspensions to our main man, we're still in the position that we are. And I think it's fantastic. And I think that's what we need to think about, not about the, this is what you could have won. It's like, it's like the deal or no deal situation. They go and win like 10 grand, but then they end up opening their box and they've got 20 grand and they're like, oh, you could have won 20 grand. It's like, yeah, but they've come away with 10 grand and they started with nothing. Come on, be happy for them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that logic on deal or no deal winds me. You, I mean, there's, there's a reason it's not on telly anymore because ultimately it was a flipping flawed <laughs> TV show, wasn't it? It was so stupid. Oh, but if he'd have just like stayed for that box, I was like, as long as you use kind of like logic, as in like I've got a three to one chance or a one to two chance, I don't know. Why am I going on about the um, <laughs> stupidity of deal or no deal? And that nothing wound me up more than Noel Edmonds kind of used to think there's some sort of divine uh, light that was, he was like, oh, well, it was meant to be. It was written in the stars. No, it wasn't. He picked up box number 12. That's, that's the only thing that's in the stars, Noel. <laughs> anyway, um, it's been a long day. Uh, Sam Branny uh, says, <laughs> if we lose Robinson, do we get Cess back? Jams? I, I feel like my first thing I need to say here is that have we forgotten that Ryan Sessignon is not a left back? <laughs> well, yeah, that was going to be my first point too. And have we also, I, th- I think, it really pains me to say this, but I think that Sessas might have reached his ceiling right now. And I think that like, you know, he had those two wonderful seasons, gone to Spurs, series of injuries, not really forced his way in, had a couple of handful of games where he's looked good. But I think he might have maxed out his potential. I think that's, you know, using FM terms, I think that he's he's at the top of his scale right now. And I struggle to see him getting back to those heights that he had in the first two seasons. But I don't know if that's just me. It might be a really unpopular take. I think nothing can ever quite account for what happened that season where Sess scored so many goals. Mm. That's one thing I could never, the amount of times he was just in the right place at the right time. And that's a skill, but how he's never been able to replicate that seemingly ever since is something that I just can't put my finger on how that went wrong. He's one of those that I wouldn't, if he came back, I'd be it'd be great, but it's certainly not to replace Robinson for me, Elizabeth. I just think that like, I think you would lose so much defensively um, having to have Sess back at at left back and, and we would miss so many attributes from Robinson. Yeah. And not to replace Robinson, but I would definitely have him back. Um, Partly because obviously the sentimental factor, but also we've spoken a fair bit about rehabilitating players and having players like Leno and Willian and Pereira, who've all had like difficult times in their careers at their clubs and then them coming to Fulham and being able to perform under Marco. And it like, I would love him to come back. I can't even pretend that it doesn't hurt me every time I see him in a Spurs shirt. But I also do think like, obviously he is, he is such a talent. I disagree with Ben that he's hit a ceiling. 
I just don't think that Jose Mourinho was the right man to get stuff out of him, which I don't think is necessarily too controversial. There's the he was getting a good run of games under Conte. Um, the fact when he's because they sort of play with that wing back system, which I think is Sessegnon's actually best position. Uh, he's definitely not a fullback, and he's not quite the he's not quite a winger either. He's not the type of player to get the ball and start taking it taking on the fullback every single opportunity, like we do see with um, Wilson or William, for example, Cabano for for that matter. Um, he's very good at sort of like arriving from deep, as you say, like at the you know, in the right position. And he was getting a good run of games under Conte. Conte seemed to really like him and started rotating him with Ivan Perisic. But then as if you keep looking at his injury record, he keeps going in and out the, out the squad because of these little niggly injuries that he's having. So I think there is more to come from Ryan Sessegnon. But I, I you know, I, I, I wish it was at Fulham, but I just don't see it as a replacement left back if, if Robertson goes. He's just not the same type of player. No, I think it's what you, I think it's a really interesting point you made, Elizabeth, just generally about our recruitment though. You think how actually, I think Pereira is the epitome of just like the kind of signing where actually it was someone who would be grateful to be at Fulham. Um, I mean, I know there was kind of the Pereira going to Chelsea rumours. I never massively gave him a huge amount of credence, but those kind of, if Cesc came back to Fulham, he would be fully motivated to play for us, not trying to use us as a stepping stone. It's these players that come in and are like, great, I'm going to, I'm going to really work hard. And I think we've seen maybe from the one player that I think is in this squad using Fulham as a stepping stone, which I believe is Mana Solomon, that I think sometimes that's, that's a difficult kind of player to manage. And I think Bryson have had that problem a lot. Obviously it's worked for them amazingly well as well but having those players that you're kind of you've promised that you might go to a big club whereas actually I think if you take players that have had that moment at the big club and then they come back to Fulham I think you find that their motivation is is huge and you often get a good player for for a tidy price which um could work for Cess, but yeah, Farrell, I think his injury problems are, are a big problem. Uh, I like this one from, from Brian Head going straight to you, Farrell. Uh, it said, Mitro's header yesterday gave me big Brian McBride flashback slash vibes. If in some hypothetical universe, you could only pick one of these two for an attacking set piece, whose noggin would you go with? McBride or Mitrovic? <laughs> that is... Oh my God. That is a, a question, question and a half. I mean, Brian McBride is up there with one of my favourite Fulham players of all time, yeah. uh, especially from that era. Um, just that ultimate leader and everything. He's probably got that kind of like Tim Ream vibes in this, not the American side of things, but imagine if we had it. Imagine if we signed Brian McBride 10 years previously than we actually did, because we signed him when he was like 32 already, for crying out loud. Mm. Imagine what we had as a 22 year old Brian McBride. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I cannot choose in between the two. Like, Brian McBride's heading ability, the size of his neck was like the, you know, it was like a tree trunk for crying out loud. His able to, his heading ability was just unbelievable. Attacking set piece though. Did he actually score that many headers from set piece situations? Not I remember actually. the goal against Birmingham. I remember the goal against Birmingham in the great escape. It's the only one that absolutely comes to mind straight away, which is a good. Header. Yeah. Um, could you imagine, let's, let's twist the question around. Could you imagine Brian McBride in this team with Marco Silva's set-piece set-up ability? Because we've seen so many corner and set-piece routines that, we've, that, um, that the players have taken advantage of. Brian McBride would be ready to have lunch and all the trimmings as well all season. He'd probably end up on 15 goals as well. 
Yeah. Uh, ben, I wonder if... I think Brian McBride's probably an indication of the fact that the Premier League was nowhere near this good 20 years ago. Like, it's lovely. And Brian O'Brien was a great servant, a good player. But you think back to some players in that Fulham team and what kind of level of player you need now to even compete in the Premier League. I I actually think this is kind of a no-brainer and it's Mitrovic that he is 10 times the player that Brian McBride ever was. Yeah, I absolutely can't top up on your point there. I think you've, you've nailed it, mate. Honestly, the, the rise in quality in the Premier League over the last 20 years has been astronomical. Like some of the, even some of the players that you see in the bottom half of the table are head and shoulders above what the top half of the table used to be. So I would agree with you. Yeah, hundred percent. It's uh, it's it's hard and it's uh, it's 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 sad to say sometimes. But I think um, I think this is a, a, the easiest question of the day. Um, sadly, as much as I I loved Brian McBride, um, don't get me wrong. Um, Elizabeth um, Woodrow Sweats um, uh, tweeted saying, "If we don't get Harry Wilson, Mitrovic, and Niskins on the pitch at the same time, <laughs> uh, we riot." Uh, yesterday was the first chance that we had to have them all on the pitch, and he brought <laughs> off Harry Wilson for Niskins, Cabano, Marco Silva. What you? doing to us we just want to sing the song <laughs> yeah you gotta ask what the need was like we're gonna, <laughs> Southampton are bad we're gonna win this game what are you doing like thank yeah, you bad decision yeah thank you very much as much as I don't want to complain about yesterday it was a great day that was uh yeah, that, that was that was pretty criminal uh from Marco uh one question here um Ben from I have lost who it was where's your question why have you disappeared Charlie boy he says, what do we want for a backup striker next season? Uh, do Muniz and Stansfield come back into the fold? And do we keep the faith with Vinny as well? Um, Stansfield didn't make the bench yesterday, uh, Ben. Obviously, I think he is allowed to be uh, in the matchday squad after his loan at Exeter has finished. Um, I mean, Vinicius has obviously done more than enough to prove that he's an adequate backup striker for me. Um, yeah, I'd like to see Stansfield in the fold. I don't know what the future is for Moon is. I just, I don't know what we're going to do there. I think we're going to have to cut our losses somehow. I think it's the end of the road for Moon is, to be honest with you. Um, it was, it was pretty much writing was on the wall as soon as we got promoted that he wasn't going to cut the mustard at the Premier League level. And unfortunately it looks like it hasn't worked out for him entirely at Middlesbrough either. So I think that, you know, Fulham are probably going to cut their losses with him and, we'll probably see him bounce back to Brazil or maybe somewhere in Portugal. Um, in terms of a backup striker, I'm comfortable giving Vinicius another season and see how he goes. It would be brilliant to give Jay Stansfield the path and opportunity to try and carve out a role here. And I think that actually Marco has been a little bit limited with the playing time that he's given to younger members of the squad. I would have loved to have seen someone like Luke Harris, for example, get some more minutes this season, Yeah, um, which has been a little bit disappointing. But I do think there are people on the fringes of this squad that can have an impact next year. But I think, as, as Elizabeth said earlier on in this podcast, that the summer we have coming up is massive for us. Like We need to get players in of quality. I think there's an element of this season that rides on a little bit of luck. We've scraped a few very undeserved wins throughout the season. Like the Brighton one comes into, into the front of my mind immediately. Um, and the, there's a, only a, to a certain point that you can keep getting those wins. Um, so yeah, I, I think backup striker is always going to be really difficult for us to execute perfectly because when you, it's almost the same story as Harry Kane and Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah. Who's going to want to join 
Fulham knowing that they're going to be a backup striker after, alongside Mitrovic in the same way as like, why would anyone join Tottenham knowing they're not going to get past Harry Kane? Yeah, 100%. Um, ben, one thing that I feel like we should uh, speak about, given your love of Spanish football, and I think this yep. has gone massively under the radar with um, Fulham fans, Paolo Gazaniga on loan at uh, Girona has yep. got them seventh in La Liga and he is yeah. having an absolutely wonderful season. I was having a chat in the car um, yesterday uh, with uh, a couple of people I gave a lift to Southampton. Uh, shout out uh, Tommy and Jack. And we were talking about who would be the backup goalkeeper next year because you imagine Mark Marriott Rodet might want to leave. Um, yeah. Might be might be time to get Gazaniga back as uh, as number two because he's clearly shown that, uh, yeah, this season he's been playing brilliantly. Yeah, well, unfortunately, there's not much Spanish football coverage in Canada. It's yeah. one of those markets that don't really care about. But Girona have had a, an incredible season and Gazaniga has been at the heart of that, along with a few other players who have kind of gone to that club and revived themselves. But... Well, the interesting thing about Girona is that they are part of the City group. So they are owned in part by the same owners as Manchester City. So they've had a few players out there that have come on loan from City or other parts of that network and they've really gelled together and had a, a fantastic season. Yeah, no, I just, uh, I noticed that one yesterday and yeah, you imagine that, yeah. uh, that Marek will uh, probably want to move on uh, in the summer. You yeah. just thought, I, I can't see him staying uh, another season realistically it's difficult again similar kind of case really isn't it who's going to want to come in and be back up to Burt Leno at Fulham like I, totally. I think it's always difficult to kind of get the number two position right at, at most clubs but particularly when you've got someone so dominant um in in front of you yeah I also think there's an element to this where we have an, a great hi recent history of developing goalkeepers at the club so it's not like we're short of them in the academy. We have a couple of uh, a couple of keepers that are, are ready to go. We have uh, George Wickens, right? And uh, yeah. Ashby Hammond as well is still knocking around. So I don't think we'll be too far off seeing them in the on the fringes of the squad in the next couple of years. Yeah, 100%. Um, I'm going to go to everyone on this one. Uh, this is a bit mean for Ben because obviously you've been in Canada, but um, you can still say which one was your favourite uh, from afar. So Matt Boisclair has asked, favourite away game of the season? I imagine it's going to be one of the wins, but you never know. There might be a draw in there that, uh, that, you, can, that you can pick out. So Elizabeth, I'm going to start with you. Favourite away of the season? It can either be one you attended or didn't attend. It's not necessarily about the, the day and uh, we don't necessarily need the Jack Kelly answer of which chip shop you visited and that's why it's your favourite. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to go uh, for West Ham away. Um, no, I'm not. It's, 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 Palace. it's Palace for me. I had, I was there, I was like, not obviously, but it was the best day. And I think there's something so it would be a shame if it happened all the time because obviously those tense games are fun but when not fun but like fun to win and obviously a big yeah. payoff um but palace it was so easy from like as soon as you know as soon as half time hit you just knew there was no way and the fact that they had two of their players carded red carded off they went and it was just so fun and the atmosphere was great as well because you don't have this, this that much at all in the Premier League, especially. But when you know you're going to win, there's no stress about the kind of songs that you're singing. There's no people short of a laying. There's no people. I think I sang that Jingle Bell song probably about 55 times. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Palace is amazing. Uh, Farrell? God, I'm trying to think. There's been so many Fulham away wins this year. Is actually 
difficult to actually pick out which one was the best and actually remember them all because there were so many of them. When was the last time I bloody said that? Um, the the forest one is one that sticks out for me. It was one that was like just such a surprisingly good win and especially the manner of it as well. Um, you know, where everyone's a little bit in the lead up to it, everyone was a bit worried about, you know, Tim Ream playing at left back or who else might, you know, speaking about Declan Over Reed might be playing left back, but obviously he did really well there. And just the manner of it was just so great when Forrest were a little bit on the ascendancy. And it, that was just a brilliant atmosphere. Um, it was probably William's first best performance of the season, if that makes sense, as well, when you actually realize, yeah. oh, we've got a player here now. This is great. Um, you know, but South, you know, Southampton will always be looked back very, very fondly as well. Uh, for me personally, because of when Sunak's uh, face appeared on the TVs in the concourse and there was booing across the concourse, that's always going to be a lovely moment that I will treasure <laughs> for a little while. Can we, can we just talk about, from a PR point of view, what was he thinking going to that game yesterday? I get that he's a Southampton fan and he has as much right to go to a football match as, as anyone else. But if you are advising Rishi Sunak and God knows he needs some advice uh, in his life. If you're saying, right, Rishi's goes like, I'd really like to get to a Southampton game this season. The one where they are going to get mathematically relegated <laughs> <laughs> is not the one I would choose. Just be like, Rishi, look, they've had a shit season. Um, you're already unpopular enough. Maybe just like wait till next season when the championship. Just, just don't go. That that would. What 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 was he doing? I think you probably misunderstand the like initial. He didn't say I want to go to a Southampton game this season. He said I want to watch Mitrovic's return. So it had to be that. <laughs> what can I say? And and to be fair, maybe all is a bit forgiven if that was actually why he wanted to go. He he cancelled all of his important prime ministerial duties. He just wanted uh, to make sure he was there for the return of Mitro. Fair 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 play, Rishi. Um, ben, uh, I know that you've been in Canada, so it's a bit difficult. Yeah. But maybe you can give this the um, the wider view because you won't be influenced by whether you had a nice time or a nice journey to the ground. You can, you can say from afar, what was the best away performance? It doesn't necessarily have to be a win. There's a couple of valiant draws in there, particularly the Chelsea draw, I guess would, would, would stand out as a very impressive away day. Yeah. I think two of them stand, I know three of them stand out for me, actually. Um, One was a forest win that Farrell spoke about mainly because I, I, at that point, had been at my job for maybe a month or two, and it was a lunchtime kickoff on the east, on the West Coast. So um, there was a few of us watching at lunchtime, and that was really fun. To get Canadians like on my side uh, and cheering on the team was great. And when we went 3-1 up, everyone was just going berserk, <laughs> which was really cool. Um, always nice seeing Leeds lose at Ellen Road as well when we beat those guys. I remember, like, the first 20 minutes we were utter dog shit and then Rodrigo scored. And then after that, we were brilliant and we went three, one up. Um, And then one of my favorite ones was just a few weeks ago when we beat Everton and we, we came into that game. I think we hadn't been on an exceptionally good run of form in the build up to that. And we we came away with a very comfortable win um, (laughs) against Sean Dyche. And, you know, I like getting points against Dyche. I mean, for me, the absolute pinnacle is whenever we're going to beat West Ham away. 
that is going to be probably the best day of my life um, being from Essex, uh, being surrounded by West Ham fans is absolutely the worst uh, thing ever. Yeah. So that's why you moved to the West Coast of of Canada to get as far or far away from as West Ham fans as possible. Have you been to any white, have you been to any white caps away games yet? Not a white cap. Well, actually, white caps were playing in Portland this uh, yesterday night, and that's only like a two-hour plane ride. So I, I, I tried to book something last minute, but the tickets were seven hundred dollars. What? It was absolutely not worth a two-hour flight. So yeah, it was ridiculous. But we did actually watch uh, white caps against Minnesota United last Saturday, and that was like absolute chaos like the the quality of game isn't amazing but that was a good night out and we sat in the ultra section so that was fun there we go white cap ultra uh, there we are. um <laughs> i'm gonna for me the away that is actually it's a really really tough one to call leeds was the most jealous i wasn't there i've been really jealous that i wasn't at leeds um i'm going to go for brighton i i i just think that it was just one of those amazing moments. I never forget about 10 minutes before the end being next to Dan Cook and uh, us saying, if we nix this, it's going to be the best away day of all time. Uh, and lo and behold, it was one of the best away days uh, of all time. Just to, to win it like that, 89th minute against a side that are a very, very impressive side. Uh, they've just beaten Arsenal away uh, this evening. Uh, that, that's uh, that's the title race done, isn't it? If, if it yep. wasn't beforehand. Um, so yeah, uh, I think that will go down for me. Anyway, Matt, fantastic question and uh, nice to reminisce about, I, I still can't get my head around seven away wins uh, in a single season. I remember we used to be struggling to get one Um uh, so often. So um, yeah, Marcus Silva, what a job you have done. Uh, and that'll do for the podcast today. Uh, ben Jarman, live from Canada, munching on a banana. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sammy. Thanks, crew. That banana <laughs> couldn't wait one minute. Yeah, I'm sorry, uh, I, forgot, <laughs> I forgot we do outros. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me on. I'd like to say, Liz, it was great to be on for the first time with you. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, that's so lovely. <laughs> Liz, thank you. Yeah, lovely to be on. And Farrell, thank you. Oh no, thank you very much, Sammy. Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we will be back on the Thursday Club uh, previewing uh, this Saturday's game against Crystal Palace. We're going to also um, be chatting about Mental Health Awareness Week, which is next week. We're going to be speaking to uh, a guy called Dan Morgan, who is from the James's Place charity. Uh, which is a charity that tries to prevent uh, men committing suicide. And they are a place, uh, a fantastic charity uh, that, that offer life-saving support uh, to, to men in crisis. And uh, they're doing a big initiative uh, about uh, trying to encourage football fans uh, to be a bit more open uh, about problems in their life. Uh, it's a really, really fascinating chat. Dan is brilliant. And uh, I think it's a hugely important topic that we uh, delve into. So that's going to be on this week's Thursday Club. And of course, uh, this will catch on and previewing the weekend's match. But have a lovely start to your week. Fulham with their 15th win of the season. Uh, so enjoy that with a striding your step on your whites. Toodles.